You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. So I invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, look in the seats in front of you. And you can find Colossians chapter 3 on page 984. And I've chosen a subject this morning that is important for us as a church family to all be on the same page with. As we've had a, a number added to our church family, and gratefully so, over the last few months, I've been watching as this phrase has been used by people on the stage and in reference in our communication. And I just sense that there's value in making sure we're all on the same page of what this phrase actually means. When we use this phrase at Ascend, what is it? What can you expect of it? How are you to engage with it? And that phrase is soul care. Soul care is essential for the culture of Ascend Church. And I want this morning to unpack it in a way that goes back into my own childhood and then brings me and you up to where we are today, but then also, more importantly, unpacks it biblically. And so my experience with soul care really began with a a tool that is significant in soul care, and that is biblical counseling. And I remember growing up in my early Christian walk, I would sit in my bedroom at home and listen to Bot Radio Network, and I would be doing activities, usually that was cleaning my room or sorting baseball cards. And I remember listening to pastors like Charles Swindoll, David Jeremiah, John MacArthur, Tony Evans, and I I loved what I would get in those 30-minute bite-sized messages. But I found that in the middle of the day, there were usually programs like Minerth Meyer or Focus on the Family or Family Life that would have people call in or would have topics discussed that as I was a young man, I'm thinking, that is messy. And I would just sort my baseball cards thinking, thank God my life isn't like that. As I grew older, I started realizing that life is messy. But where I landed is that the messiness of life is really reserved for professionals. I mean, after all, the church really should be the place where we get doctrine, where we get theology, where we get teaching. But as life gets messy, we need to leave that to the professionals. And that's the mindset that I had for years Until as I opened my manual for seminary and looked at all of the classes that I would be required to take, I saw one on there that I have to be honest with you, I went, ugh. And it was biblical counseling. I'm looking at Greek and Hebrew and theology and thinking, now that's church ministry. But I had to take biblical counseling and I remember sitting in that class and hearing the professor start to talk about some of these messy topics starting to ask wise questions about them, starting to show how those questions can actually pull back layers of our messiness to arrive at the root of our issues and show how the Bible actually contributes to change with those roots. And I started looking at the counseling that is offered in the world, and the counseling that is offered in the world equips you to cope with the issues. The Bible gives you hope to change. And I have to be honest with you, I was hooked. I took every class that our seminary offered for biblical counseling. I was 
buying books on Amazon about biblical counseling. I was taking classes and getting trained in biblical counseling. But as I I did, and as I grew in that, I started realizing, wait a minute, biblical counseling is not reserved for a few people in the church who have letters after their names. And in fact, biblical counseling is not reserved for only those who have messy lives. Biblical counseling is discipleship. And everyone who's a follower of Christ should be a biblical counselor. And so as we began to think about planting this church, I started realizing we've got to come up with a different term than biblical counseling because the the word counseling has such a stigma to it. And thankfully, the Christian evangelical world was coming up with this phrase, soul care, to kind of advance our understanding that biblical counseling is more than just life falling apart. Biblical counseling is more than just reserved for a certain few people who have a lot of training. Biblical counseling is the Christian life. And so soul care at Ascend Church is just that. But in order for us to understand it, it's more important for you to not hear my testimony, but to hear from God's word. So Colossians 3, let me read verses 1 through 17, and then hopefully I'll unpack it in a way where we'll all be on the same page with what soul care is. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is neither Greek Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you look at your notes, you can see the the big idea I want us to center on, and that is this, that soul care is the gift that resources the process of discipleship. Again, soul care 
is the gift that resources the process of discipleship so that we can reflect Christ in all of life's circumstances. I mean, that's a significant statement. It's a statement filled with hope. It's, it's filled with help, but it also seems like an impossibility, especially if your life's circumstances, past, present, or anticipated for the future, are significant. But this is the promise, I believe, this passage holds, and if we embrace soul care at Ascend Church, we all will be able to experience it. Let's begin, number one, with the starting point of soul care. The starting point of soul care, and we'll unpack the text in just a moment, but I want to make a statement to see if anyone can relate. Life is full of ruts. I mean ruts like the tracks that wheels are on, not like the southern version of roots. Ruts. And those ruts in our lives influence the way that we see life, the way that we respond to life, the things that motivate us in life. And there are a lot of influences for those ruts. Influences like personality. Influence like the past. Influence like patterns of behavior. Influences like our environment. Influences like physical symptoms. And these ruts put us in a place that as we're traveling on the path of life, we tend to settle into a way of seeing, thinking, speaking, and living out life. Now, life can actually impact these ruts. Things like medical diagnosis. Things like a change in career path. Things like an inheritance. Things like a change in relationship status. All of these can be influences that actually move us out of some of these ruts, but there's one rut that all of us share in common that the Bible says is the rut of spiritual deadness. Would you write that down? Every human being at the moment of conception, before we even have a thought, before we even utter a word, before we even express a behavior, we are all in the same rut, which is spiritual deadness. And Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us that. All of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. Every one of us walk according to our own desires, our own lusts. We pursue the glitter of the fool's gold of this world on our own willfully. That is the ultimate rut. And while we might be given influences that impact and shift our ruts, this rut cannot be broken on our own. This rut cannot be broken by anything that the world has to offer us. Not therapy, not medicine, not finances, not politics. Nothing can influence this rut except for one thing. And that's the starting point of soul care. If then, verse 1 says, you have been raised with Christ. How do we get raised with Christ except what verse 3 says? We have to be dead to self. We actually have to experience the breaking of our self, the breaking of our nature by embracing the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the empty tomb. And it is through embracing that by faith, through repentance, that we are raised to Christ. And what I love about this is that the first four verses tell us that we are then new. 
We have a new mindset. We have a new lens. We have new motivation. We have a a new nature. And so what Paul says literally in the original language in verse 1, since then you have been risen with Christ. So what follows in these 17 verses is an expectation that if you claim to be a follower of Christ, this is what your life should look like. And so this then becomes the starting point of soul care. My question to you as an individual is, have you died to self and been raised in Christ? See, that's where soul care begins, Before true change can happen, before we can start looking at your marriage, before we can start looking at your kids and your parenting, before we can start looking at how you deal with singleness and you deal with all of these things that could be happening in your life that are significant, before we get there, we've got to start with this starting point. Are you risen in Christ? But then we move to number two, the strategic practice of soul care. The strategic practice of of soul care. Now, what follows in these verses, 5 through the beginning of 13, is a lot of lists and a lot of repetitive put off, put on. Did you hear that when I was reading through? And so as we read through this, we might be tempted to think that the strategic practice is putting off and putting on, but that's not it. You see, if we start with putting off or putting on, we can start with moralism. If we start with putting off behavior and putting on behavior, we actually could be missing the point of the text. I'll unpack to you what the point of the text is in just a moment. Look at what it says in verse 5. Here we see, put to death, therefore. What is earthly in you? These are the influences of the flesh. The influences of the world in which we live. The influences in our, our not fully developed Christian conscience. And what are they? Well, Paul gives a list, and the temptation with the list is to try to either find yourself in it or justify yourself because you're not there. And the first one is is one of those that hopefully is not present in our church, but as we unpack the root of it, it might be. It says sexual immorality. This was likely rampant in the culture and even the church of Colossae. And so Paul deals with this head on, but he he continues this list intentionally in such a way to remind us that it's not just the physical act of sexual immorality, it's actually peeling back those layers to get to the root. And so he does that through this list. It's not just the expression of sexual immorality, it's also the impurity of the mind. It's also passion, and the word passion means to be driven by lusts and desires be motivated by that. And then he says, evil desire. That means to strongly desire what belongs to someone else and to be willing to be immoral to get it. What's interesting about this list is that as he progresses through it, at some point, a human being that's engaging at a soul level should begin to be convicted. And if you're not here yet, well, look at the rest of what he says. In verse 8, he says, but now you should put them all off. And then he gives another list that involves attitudes. And then also includes lying to one another. See, again, if we would look at this and simply just look at the list of vices, 
or simply look at the list to try to justify ourselves, we could very easily get to a place of morality comparison. That's often what we do, isn't it? Well, I might do this, and I'll acknowledge that, Lord, but I don't do this. Therefore, I'm justified. That's not the point of what Paul is unpacking here. And his putting to death and putting off and putting on is not the point of the text. It's actually an outworking of the point. Let me show you what the point is. It's actually at the end of the list of verse 5. He says, covetousness. The word covetousness means a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions, more than others have, regardless of need. Pull out the sword. Now, who as an American could say that they aren't convicted by this? Has anybody moved and come to the realization of how much stuff you have? How many of you have actually gone down to the basement to take some of the gifts that you were given this year and put them with the rest of the gifts from years past and seen how many boxes and things that you haven't used in years are down there? We as Americans are so prone to amass that which we don't need or we thought we needed in a moment but realized later we don't. Now what Paul is not saying here is you can't have more than what you need. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is when that drives you, when you see your neighbor's car and immediately you have a settled, unsettled discontent, when you start to see what somebody else is wearing at the workplace, when you start to see social media posts and all of a sudden you're just driven and that becomes your obsession, that's covetousness. But what's interesting is it's not even the bottom of the barrel. And the bottom of the barrel is what the point of this passage is. See the word idolatry? The word idolatry combined with covetousness means this. The loss of contentment in Christ. Oh, friend, would you write that down? Would you underline that? Would you take a picture of it? Whatever you need to do with this quote, this is the root of all sin, the loss of contentment in Christ so that we start to crave other things to satisfy the longings of our heart. This is the epicenter of the root of sin. This is the epicenter of what we need to deal with with soul care. It begins, beloved, by worship. That's where two change occurs. This behavior that we've been unpacking in the vices and the virtues are all supposed to be dealt with and flow out of our worship of Christ. When we begin to not be satisfied in Christ, we begin to fulfill the longings of our hearts in ways that don't glorify him. So how do we deal with this? Verse 10, be renewed in the knowledge after the image of your creator. That's the secret to soul care. This is the strategic practice of soul care, being renewed in your mind according to the word of God. That's it. And so the putting off and putting on, you can't even know what to put off and put on until you run through the grid of scripture. And the grid of scripture is ultimately not with an end game of morality, it's with an end game of worship. And so this is the strategic practice. That's why everything that we do here at Ascend 
when it comes to soul care, falls into one of three categories. Would you write these down? We have preventative soul care. That's what's going on right now in my preaching. That's what went on in the songs that we sang. It is getting us to a place where I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what you're dealing with. So I give you the word of God, preach boldly and unapologetically with the expectation that the Holy Spirit will fulfill what he says in Isaiah, that he will cause it to accomplish its purpose. That's preventative. And as you do this over and over and over again, and you engage at a heart level in every sermon, you walk away with one thing that you can take with you. God is doing a preventative work in your heart so that patterns of sin don't develop. That's preventative soul care. But then number two, there's corrective soul care. Corrective soul care is when you begin to recognize that there are patterns of sin. You begin to recognize there are things that you're struggling with, and you realize, hey, I can't just look at these things morally. I've got to look at these things biblically, and I need help. And that help could include seeking out counsel here. That could help include bringing a brother or sister in Christ in to come alongside of you. That could mean looking for a recommendation for a book or a sermon series. But you know, hey, I need help because if I don't, this thing could develop into something worse. It's like what Jesus told the man that he healed at the pool of Bethsaida in John 5. Repent and discontinue sinning. That's corrective. Taking the word of God and applying it to specific areas of your life to avoid the progression of sin. But then the third category is something called intensive. Intensive. This is an area of your life that you realize is there and you don't even know where to start. You know this is beyond your pay grade. But what we've studied in Scripture is that 2 Peter 1.3 says everything that we need for life and godliness is found in the Word of God. So if you want true change to happen in your life, no matter what your past, no matter what your medical diagnosis, no matter what your future might hold, there is true hope of change through the Word of God, and it's intense. And that does require people to be trained and equipped to be able to be like the medic on the beach of D-Day. And to see somebody's life falling apart and not go, oh, but actually lean in. But what I want you to see through all three of these categories is there's a common denominator, isn't there? The Word of God. It's the Word of God, beloved. You know, I, I delivered this message already to the first service, and I, I had a moment back in the green room, and I was just praying through it and just thinking through how did people hear it? How did they understand it? How will they apply it? And I came to the reminder that I'm not your savior. I don't know what's going on in each one of your individual lives, but the Holy Spirit does. He knows it intimately. And so if the word of God is faithfully preached time and time again throughout the pages of scripture, throughout church history, we are reminded God uses that to save your souls. And so whether it's preventative, whether it's corrective, whether it's intensive, soul care to sin anchors in the strategic practice of renewing our mind through the word of God. And when we do that, we'll see behavior that we need to put off. We'll see behavior that we should put on. And that is the strategic practice of soul care. Number three, the singular priority of soul care 
The singular priority of soul care. In the second part of verse 13, we see Paul move from focusing on the individual to the community. And we see him begin to use phrases like one another and each other. And in the New Testament, when we see this phrase, nine times out of ten, it's referring to the context of the local church. So what Paul is doing here is he's moving from the individual to the community but he reminds us of our singular priority. And it's not vices, it's not virtues, it's not putting off, it's not putting on. The singular priority is found in verse 15. Look at what it says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The the singular priority is that Christ is the umpire of your life. That, That what you call moral, Christ calls moral. What you call immoral, Christ calls immoral. What you are pursuing for your life, what motivates you is the magnifying of Christ. That's letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. An example of that I found in my studies this week is a man by the name of John M. Perkins. He's a Christian minister and civil rights activist. He gives the account when he was younger of being in prison in Mississippi, being mercilessly beat by drunk guards. And as he came in and out of consciousness, he came to the realization that one of the guards at some point, the the details are so horrific, I'll just choose this one so we can understand the gravity of what he experienced. At a moment of consciousness, he realized someone was pushing a fork down his throat. Now, if anyone could get a hall pass for hatred, it would be John Perkins. But listen to what he said about that event. There was an image that formed in my mind. The image of the cross. Christ on the cross. And it blotted out everything else in my mind. I love that. I mean, if John Perkins, experiencing what he did, could have a singular priority of Christ, so can we. Amen? And how we do that is by the imagery that Paul has been using here. He's saying, put off, put on. This is clothing imagery. And we understand clothing typically communicates an identity, doesn't it? It communicates whether we're male or female. It communicates whether someone is wealthy. It communicates whether somebody's a judge or an athlete or a prisoner. And our clothing can communicate something about our identity. And that's what Paul's driving at. But what he's driving at is that what communicates our identity is not our morality. It's not our vices. It's not even anything that we can find in this world that could be our identity. Look at verse 11. Here there is not Greek or Jew. It's not about ethnicity. Circumcised and uncircumcised. It's not about denomination. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. It's not about anything that the world says is our identity. It's not your occupation. It's not your neighborhood. It's not your education. It's not your medical diagnosis. Your identity is Christ. That's the point. And when we could get to a place where we grasp this, where we own it, we realize that at the root of vices is an idolatry of self. At the root of virtues is worship of Christ. That is our singular priority. And friends, to the degree that we can get to a place where we find our pleasures are in pursuing Christ, 
Our pleasures are in engaging with his character. That it is Christ that consumes us. Then we will put off what we should put off and put on what we should put on. But the root of it is our priority of our singularity. You know, in the Christian faith, we often do a disservice to young people or even just people in the church by being do and don't cops. What I mean by that is we we understand for young people that there are deep pits of sexual sins that are out there. And so we tend to focus on telling them, don't do this and do this. But we do the same as adults. Do this, don't do this. And before you know it, we're focusing so much on putting off and putting on that we're not dealing with the heart of the issue. Listen to what one commentator says. That when it comes to do's and don'ts, putting off and putting on, if we do it without a positive focus to divert one's energy in the pleasure of worshiping God, we do one another a dangerous disservice. Friends, at Ascend Church, soul care is not ultimately about behavior. It is about worship. And it begins by reminding ourselves our identity is Christ. So listen to this. In our day and age, when there are so many medical diagnoses, now listen, what I'm not saying is that those symptoms aren't valid. If you have received a medical diagnosis of some disorder through uh, somebody reviewing the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics of Mental Disorders, if you've received a, a diagnosis of that, I'm not saying those symptoms aren't real. I'm not even saying that that diagnosis isn't a valid summary of those symptoms. What I am saying is it's not your identity. I don't care what kind of past you've had. I don't care what's going on today. I don't care about those things defining you. They are opportunities for you, beloved, because God has put them in your life for his glory and your good. And when you have Christ as your identity, when that is the robe that you have put on through being risen in Christ, it changes everything. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't remove these things from your life. But it does give you the right perspective. And the right perspective is the starting point, the strategic practice, the singular priority of soul care. We renew our mind with the gospel, with our identity being in Christ. Look at all of the terms that Paul has used in this passage. Verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ. Verse 4, Christ will appear. Verse 11, your identity is nothing but Christ. He is is all and in all. Verse 10, you renew your minds according to your creator. Verse 13, you do so with the gospel and the reminder of it. So friend, how do we cultivate this in our life as a single priority? Here's another quote. Maybe you can relate to this, especially with kids, but the constant wearing of official costume costume can so transform someone that it becomes difficult or impossible for him or her to react normally. Haven't you seen this with kids when they wear a costume? I mean, they am, some of them start demanding that their parents call them prince or princess. I mean, you see security guards. I, I see this. I remember I worked in the corporate world downtown, and there were security guards that, man, they walked around like they were, they were the stuff just because they had a badge. 
But friends, this is what we are to do. Our badge is Christ. Our robe is Christ. Our tools are Christ. And the more we wear that, the more we renew that in our minds, the more that we pursue that, we won't act like we did. We'll act like we should. Which brings us to number four, the supporting place of soul care. I I don't know about you, but I I listen to all of this. This is impossible, isn't it? I mean, I can't do this on my own. And neither can you. But that's why Paul is transitioning from the individual to the local community. It's about the one another's. It's about the church community. In fact, flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews in 9 and 10 has been unpacking how Christ's death on the cross has torn down the the wall that, that has separated God of the universe from his people. And through the years, only one person could access the other side of that wall one time out of the year. And he says, through Christ, that veil has been torn. Through Christ, we have access 24-7 to the God of the universe. So we should stir up good works and love in one another. Friends, that's what soul care is is investing in one another, caring about one another, ultimately for the glory of Christ that he may be magnified. And then the author of Hebrews in verse 25 says, well, if we're passionate about this, why would anybody avoid gathering together? Why would anybody take this of what we're doing this morning and look at it as duty? Why would we look at what we're doing right now as an add-on to our life or a religious exercise? Why would we not take advantage of what the local church offers to followers of Jesus Christ to grow in their soul care, to contribute to others and the care of their souls? Why would we avoid that? It's a gift. But we should ask the question, what should the local church look like? And that's back in Colossians 3. Paul says the community where this all takes place should be a place, verse 16, where the word of Christ dwells in you richly. The word of Christ dwelling in you richly should be a place where the Bible is explained, understood, and applied. That's what we try to do here. Everything, small group, kids right now, beloved, are being taught the word of God. Students tonight will be taught the word of God. I just talked to Lee about what he's going to unpack for the teenagers of our church. He's going to equip them how to read and study the Bible. Wow. Young adults, people who are going through that transitional phase of being in the home to now being out on their own are being poured into by Ken and Mindy Heiser to be equipped to know the word of God and apply it to their lives. Small groups, soul care, women's ministry, men's ministry, marriage conference. This is awesome. To let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. But then look at what it says. The purpose of the word of God in our lives is to teach us, build us up, but then also admonish, warn. It's the Greek term nutheteo. If you study biblical counseling, maybe you've heard it referred to as nuthetic counseling. It means to warn of the dangers of not following instruction. 
That's what I'm doing this morning. That's what soul care is at Ascent, is building up. This is what the word of God means. This is how it points to Christ. This is how we magnify Christ through the application of it. And warning, warning, if we don't follow it, there's danger. If we start to notice in one another's lives that we're derailing from the faith, that we're not honoring Christ with the, the patterns of our lives. We speak into one another's life. That's what it says. We teach, we build up, and we warn one another. But it's not just through the preaching, is it? Look at the text. There's another activity that is intended to accomplish this. What does it say? Singing. What? Do you know that's the purpose of what we've just done before the preaching? It's not to put forth music that has as its primary goal the sound, your enjoyment of it. Both things are valid, and we consider that, but the primary objective of the words that we sing and the songs that we choose is to build up and warn one another. By centering on Christ, by removing self and centering on Christ. Listen to this. Worship is a ritual whereby one transfers the center of one's attention from self to Christ, who is to rule in our hearts. I love that. Let that influence the way that we evaluate the music part of our service. Let that also be the influence in our evaluation of preaching. Let that be that what influences us. You know, I hear parents say, well, my kids didn't enjoy kids' ministry, so we're not coming back. Wait, who's the parent? That's an opportunity for you to shepherd their souls. Your filter should be, are my kids being built up and warned? Are my kids being cared for? And those kinds of things. That's what we're looking for with soul care. And the teaching, the preaching, the worship music, and all of the activities have as their goal to teach and build up one another and warn one another for the glory of Christ. If then, you are risen with Christ, soul care. So friend, in 2023, you're going to have opportunities to ask others in the church and do it. You're going to hopefully have people ask you this in 2023, so do it. Where are you engaged in soul care? Remember, there's preventative there's corrective, there's intensive, there's your participation in receiving of it, that's your contributing to others with it. You'll have opportunities on that sheet that you were given when you walked in, as well as QR codes here at the end, to grow in your understanding of soul care. To actually maybe be trained to do corrective or intensive counseling. You'll have the opportunity to receive that. So that we as a church family can be actively engaged in fulfilling Colossians 3, caring for one another's souls. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I know that there might be some of you that through the context of your past or your present or your anticipation of the future, this might all seem like an impossibility and at any time you think something is impossible, remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 19. With man, this is impossible. 
When you look at so much of the counseling and the therapy and the equipping and training that happens in the world from a secular perspective, it is simply to help people cope, not change. It's to acknowledge what the influences are for the ruts and just teach you how to deal with that. But it doesn't address the heart. Soul care does. And you have an opportunity at this church because of the leadership of our elders, because of the willingness of people who are gifted and skilled and those who have been bold enough and courageous enough to wonder if they are, to be in a church that has a community of soul care, but everyone is expected to participate. If you have been risen with Christ, soul care. So as I pray, as we sing, as you see the opportunities up on the screen at the end of the service, how will you respond?